You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. All right. Well, now that we got rid of them, we can have some fun. All right. We're in 1 John. We've got one more week of 1 John, and then we're in four weeks of Easter Sunday. So we're going to be starting Easter uh, kind of gatherings. We're going to talk about actually creation, uh, going th- right through the books of the Bible. All right? So we're going to go big, fast version through you know, on Easter, the four, next four weeks anyways. So we're going to hit creation. Then we're going to talk about the cradle of Christ, and then the cross, and then the crown, his victory over creation. And so we're going to walk through that uh, in the next four weeks. But we're in First John. So why don't you, again, one more last time, just stand as we read God's word together. We're in First John chapter 4, beginning chapter 4, 1 through 6 this morning. And so let's read this together on the screen. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They're from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of God. You can grab a seat. Let me pray one last time, and then we'll jump into this uh, very amazing text. Uh, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the word, uh, your spirit that empowers us to understand and hear you and see you and and know you. And and I pray, Jesus, that uh, as we preach this uh, text of scripture, that, um, Lord, that you'll use me despite me, uh, that you'll help me step aside and allow you just to speak uh, to the hearts of those here today and also to my heart, Lord, as I need it as much, if not more, than them. And so I just pray, Jesus. Uh, that you will empower us to hear you, to see you, and to know you, and then to believe upon you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever heard from a friend or maybe a neighbor or a mom or a dad? Like we had a lot of kids up here, so maybe maybe your mom or dad, uh, or even a pastor, something that was actually really impactful, something that actually changed your life. I know I can think back in my life and actually think about some of the very important things that I heard from those individuals. But then later found out that actually what they were saying was a lie. And it changed everything. It changed everything. So I, I did some study on some lies of this world that have been told. And, and I want to give you two that maybe you've heard about before and, and just kind of read their stories. Has anybody heard of Charles Ponzi? Yeah, yeah. Charles Ponzi. He was an Italian immigrant, made a fortune off of lying to people. In fact, he was so good at deception that the government named a type of fraud after him the Ponzi scheme, scheme. right. In 1920, which is crazy, this is 100 years ago, 
Ponzi tricked thousands of new uh, England residents into investing in a postage stamp speculation scheme. He promised investors that he could provide a whopping 50% return in just 90 days. Like, who wouldn't go for this, right? Like, 50% return? I'm in. Well, each time a new investor gave him money, he'd use those funds to pay off earlier investors, creating the illusion that they were profiting from a legitimate business. At the height of his huge scam, he raked in $250,000 a day, which is equivalent to $3 million a day in today's money. But his days of scheming and scamming caught up to him in August of 1920 when he was charged with 86 counts of mail fraud and got the name the Ponzi Scheme. Another man that I came across, uh, you might know him, Frank Abagnale. Uh, Ring a bell to anybody? You've met him. Wow. Interesting. I would love to talk to you after about this. So Frank Abagnale Jr., best known from the hit movie Catch Me If You Can, maybe you've seen this, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. The film was supposedly based on the true story of a con man of the same name who, in his best-selling memoir, claimed that he had impersonated a pilot, a doctor, a lawyer, and a professor, and the best friend of Nancy Church. (laughs) And cashed over 17,000 bogus checks amounting to 2.5 million What made the film so fantastic was the fact that it was a true story. Someone really did manage to pull the wool over everyone's eyes and steal millions of dollars only to repay his debt to society and become an advisor for the FBI through his company, Abagnale and Associates, or so we thought. See, a new report from the New York Post claims that Frank Abagnale Jr. actually lied about his lifetime of lies. According to about 87 pages of evidence, Frank Abagnale Jr. did forge checks, he did impersonate impersonate a pilot, and he did escape jail. But a lot of what his claims were inaccurate, misleading, exaggerating, or totally false. Not only that, but he couldn't have done all the con work between ages 16 and 21, since he apparently spent most of those years in prison. And if that's the case, then there's no way he could have cashed 2.5 2.5 million worth of checks. In Alan C. Logan's book, The Greatest Hoax on Earth, he writes, quote, the time Abagnale wasn't in some prison or jail amounts to about 14 months, cashing 17,000 checks in that period is 40 checks per day, end quote. On the AARP website, an article published in July 2022 claims that many of Abagnale's tales have since been debunked. So it's not shocking. There's lies around us all over the place. Uh, There's lies actually within us daily. Like we will say some things, especially you husbands, if your wife comes to you in a new outfit and they say, does this make me look good? And you say, men, yes, it does. You look great, honey. Or ladies, when you're really ticked off and you want to poison your husband, and they say, is anything wrong? And you say, nothing, I'm fine, right? And we have lies all the time, right? There's lies around us all the time. We, we do this, we lie about things because there's something in us, innately in us, that we want to hide. We want to hide our self-kingdom. We want to protect ourselves all the time. And we do this regularly, like maybe some other lies that all of us maybe have told this week is that when you didn't want to phone back or talk to a friend, you say, my phone died. 
or I had no way to contact you. I never got the message. Or I'll call you right back, not to call them back at all. Or it didn't cost that much. It was on sale. Or, oh, this old thing? I've had this for years. Or I'm on the way. Thanks, it's just what I've always wanted. I use that one quite often at Christmas time. You've lost weight. You haven't changed a bit. I didn't touch it. I have no idea where it is. I'll try to make it. I have a headache. Or I would never lie to you. See, if you've, ever, if you've never lied, you're actually not human. In Psalm chapter six, 116, verse 11, it's on the screen. It says something that we all know already. All mankind are liars. Even in this letter that we're in, in 1 John, John says four times already in just in chapter, up to chapter 4, he says in chapter 1, verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, if we say that we've never sinned, we've never lied, we're actually making God a liar and his word is not in us. In 1 John 2, 4, it says, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commands, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. In 1 John 2, it says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is a hard one. You may, may not know this, but if you say that Jesus is not the Christ, it makes you a liar because there's too much evidence around us that makes him the anointed one, the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, it says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother... He is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And then John writes in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, to kind of nail this home for us. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the, ta- in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Well, welcome to the shore. So great to have you. <laughs> if you're new here, sorry. But this is the bad news. This is the bad news that we actually all need to understand. We need to understand that the bad news is that we all have lied, that we all like uh, the, the passages that I've said here and, and Charles Ponzi and... Frank Abagnale, we are liars as well. We are unholy before a holy God. And the penalty of our unholiness is actually eternal death. So that's the bad news. And it is a horribly, it is terrible bad news. But there, there is good news. And the good news is that Jesus came and lived a perfect life for us. The one that we couldn't live Right? This, this is exactly why Jesus came. This is what we're going to be studying in the next uh, four weeks over Easter. That Jesus came because we could not live. We could not live perfectly. So God set up this whole plan that he would send himself as Jesus the Christ, the anointed one from the Father, and live for us. Live the perfect life for us. And then not just live for us, because that's not enough. He needed to pay the penalty that we deserve. He had to step in the way of the wrath of the Father and pay the penalty, which is why we have a cross on the stage. He had to pay the penalty of death that we deserve. So he paid for our sin, our lying, our unholiness as the perfect sacrifice. 
He needed to die because that's what the penalty of lying is. It's death. And so he died for us. This is good news. But it's not the end of the story. See, three days later, he rose again. He rose again, beating death and sin and conquering once and for all, past, present, and future, and rose again and then proclaimed this amazing message to everyone around him for the next 40 days. And his disciples and, and apostles then walked the streets and, and proclaimed this good news. And, and then 40 days later, he ascended into heaven and sat on his throne in victory. But that's not the end of the story. Then this, the, the story continues that he sends his Holy Spirit to us to indwell in us that we might actually now live out this mission that he's given us, the mission of the church, to proclaim the good news of Jesus. That's why on our website we have a mission statement, making Jesus known. This is what we are called to as a church, to proclaim him, to evangelize, to share the good news, not to point the fingers out, but just go, hey, there's some really bad news out there and there's some really good news for you and I really need to share it. I just got to get it off my chest. And that's the Holy Spirit indwelling you and pressing you to share this amazing news. So our new identity is in Jesus now. It's no longer in our past sin. It's no longer in our depravity, our lying, or our sorcery, and our, our evil. It's now in Christ. Christ fills us and renews us with his spirit, and now we can go out. And man, we were all here, weren't we? Like, me included. Children, according to Ephesians chapter 2, children of wrath. And he's renewed us. See, our new identity is no longer found in the flesh, but in the spirit, I'm not sure how much you listen to me, <laughs> church, but man, I love you guys. Love you. Pray for you regularly. And a couple weeks ago, I, I shared three passages and then read a fourth one. And those three passages were Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Great passage, talking very much about what this is. And I encourage you to read it. And also in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 3, 8, another great passage saying the same thing, putting off this old nature. And another one was Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. And it's not on the screen, but if you have a Bible, I would love for you to turn to it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, because I'm assuming I love you. I'm assuming you didn't read it when I challenged you to do it a couple weeks ago. And I want you to do it today with me. Because it's really important. It's setting this up for us in our passage in 1 John. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 it says this, remember the story I just told you, the good news and the bad news. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer, and this is where the Gentiles, the sinning, the lying, the, the unholiness lies on this side, must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Why? Because they are darkened in their understanding. They're blind. They don't have eyes. They have eyes, but they don't see. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have even given themselves up to sensuality. Now, before I continue to read this, I want you to really hear me on this. Think about our culture right now. The Bible is proclaiming this thousands of years ago. They have given themselves up to sensuality. walking through the streets, proclaiming rights to 
all kinds of different things, of sensuality, of actually teaching our young kids, kids like this, and just sparking things that should not be sparked at that age. Sensuality, having drag queens reading at schools and celebrating this. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Actually, it goes further. It says, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And if you really think about our world, that's what's happening. But that is not the way, this is what Paul continues. He said, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Then he kind of pauses here and he goes, well, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. He, man, there's so much to unpack in that first verse 21. And that's what I was telling you, the good news and the bad news. This is the story of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. And then to put off, he taught the, the, put, the teaching of Jesus is to put off that old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt throughout this, through deceitful desires, the de- desires of the heart, right? That's why we lie. We lie to cover our hearts, our unholiness. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Then he gives us some ways to do this, to walk out the call of Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, having put away the falsehood, let each one of you speak now the truth with his neighbor. He's just saying, tell the truth. <laughs> like even, even if you don't know Jesus, just think about this. The world is lying and God is saying, just tell the truth. Seems like a right thing to do. Lost my place. Put away the falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not allow unholiness to seep into your heart. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, which goes back to actually loving your brother. Let's reconcile. Let's let's bring restoration back to our relationship. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. Sounds like a good idea. But rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Again, like as Christians... It's when we walk in the light of Jesus Christ, it's you work so that you can give your money away to the people that need it. Sounds like even if I lived in this world, that sounds pretty good. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear you. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, who's what? been implanted in you by Jesus from his throne by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption that all bitterness then and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and then just be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you that's the good news of the story and it seems right See, our new identity is sealed and empowered by the Spirit and paid for by Jesus. The good news story. See, salvation is freely found in Jesus. This is what salvation is. It's freely in Jesus, and we ought never to miss this. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation plus works. This side 
Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. You have now received the goodness of the story of Jesus Christ. And he now empowers you now to live out his calling. That's what we've been talking about in 1 John, to abide in Jesus, to walk like Jesus walked. That's over here. It's not the gospel. The gospel's over here, but it is both end. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation now plus works. We are called to live as Jesus has lived. Because of the beauty and the free gift of grace, you now will, with, with an unadulterated joy, which we see in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, that you have now fellowship with him. And not only fellowship with him, that your joy is complete in Jesus Christ. Because it's Jesus plus nothing. See, and the work that is produced in you is now for your good and God's glory. And the thing is, and this is where we're going to jump now into 1 John. The thing is, the very first verse that we're going to cover this morning, the last part of it says this. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many false prophets have gone out into the world to distort this message I just gave you. To distort the fact that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again. That simple message of the gospel. And then now to live out his life through you to other people. It seems right and good. But there's many false prophets out in the world distorting this and spewing stupidity everywhere and any chance they get. And so what do we do? Well, look at our outline this morning. We test the spirits that we might know. And thirdly, that we might, even in greater way, realize that God is greater. That God is greater than this world's message. So look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So there are many spirits. There are many spirits out there. There's the spirit of God, which is the spirit of truth, and then the spirits of the world, the spirits of error. It's really plain to see. There's, there's no in-between. It's either the spirit of wisdom or the spirit of folly. It's the spirit of destruction or the spirit of life. It's, it's, it's really clear that Paul is not laying out anything, di- or sorry, John is not laying out anything different here. That there's a spirit of truth and a spirit of error. Actually, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. Now, the Spirit expressly says, remember that Spirit that empowers you and fills you, expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Interesting. So anything of the spirit of error is actually a demonic voice. It's contrary. That's what antichrist is. It's opposed to Christ. Antichrist. It's opposed to anything that God is saying here. It's opposed to him. And so therefore it must be of the enemy. One pastor that I follow, a man named Steve Lawson, said it this way. He said, behind every pastor is a spirit. They're either being moved by the spirit of God or by the spirit of error. If they are teaching the things of God, they will proclaim the truth of scripture. But those that change the scripture in any way are being led by the spirit of error, of a demon. See, we have passages that back this up. And Jesus, Jesus rebuking Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. You might recognize this story where Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I can't imagine hearing that from, from Jesus when 
the apostle Peter is walking with him and actually the, the backstory of there is actually really interesting. He's like trying to keep Jesus from dying. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your, listen to this, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, the spirit of God, but on the things of man, the spirit of error. Peter was being led by the spirit of error. He was spewing folly rather than wisdom. He didn't understand the things of Jesus, what actually needed to take place to actually save his soul eternally. Or in John chapter 8, verse 44, another example when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, Jesus says this, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's going to do his best to lead you into this side, the depravity, to, to be birthed with sensuality, deceit and lies and all for your kingdom. And it's going to feel good. It's not going to be black and white where it's going to be like, oh my goodness, this actually sounds really good for me. It's going to, it's going to actually sound good. But when you play it out, it's evil and destructive and actually his whole motive is to kill you. So let me be clear as possible here because my job is to shepherd you towards Jesus, the true, the true shepherd. See, over and over in the Bible it says, you may have ears, but you will not hear. It says, you will have eyes, but you will not see. See, the reason for this is that you realize handing your life over to Jesus is going to be a very large sacrifice. And you're going to hear the right words, but you're going to go, that might be too hard for me. Or you're going to see it and you're going to go, I don't want to do that. Because you're protecting, just like I talked about Frank Abagnale and the lying and the Charles Ponzi, they're, they're doing these things to protect themselves. And a lie will build on a lie and a lie and another lie. And you know this, because we've all done this. And it's going to be hard to hand your life over to Jesus completely. And I agree with you 100%. But like me and others that are in this room that have done this before you would probably stand on the stage along with me and go, yes, it's incredibly difficult to live for Jesus. But I wouldn't change a thing. Wouldn't change a thing. And those people in Cameroon that are dying for their faith I can guarantee you they would stand on this stage along with me and they would say, I'd never change a thing. And we have story after story in the scripture of the same individuals that that Jesus says to them and says, pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your death instrument and follow me. He's like, wait a second, you you want me to come to die for you? Mm Mm-hmm, are you still willing? Do you have ears to hear and eyes to see? And many did follow, but many more left and went home. See, it talks about in the scripture, the path is going to be very narrow towards heaven. Very broad towards hell. So yes, I agree with you. It is going to be difficult to lay your life down for Jesus. The past desires that you thought you couldn't live without, however, turn to a point where you just can't 
imagine living with them anymore. They become so faded and, and disgusting to you that you just want to keep running away from, them, from you, but they also call your name because they know exactly what's going on in here. And so we do the things that we don't want to do. See, church, we don't, we don't fear these things, but we do test them. We test the spirit. This is our responsibility. It's given to us again to test the spirits. It says that right here in the verse one. And if our test proves that we are wrong, that we're actually listening to a spirit of error, then we need to not continue to argue that spirit of error, just like we continue to compound lies, but we need to humbly just go, I, I've been listening to a spirit of error. I need to humbly repent and turn back to Jesus. That's the right way to do it. So how do we test then? How do we test that we are listening to the spirit of God or the spirit of error? Well, this is our next point. Number two, it's that we might know. And this is the body of the passage that we're in today. This is two, verses 2 through 3 and 5 through 6. It says this. By this you know the spirit of God. Here's the test. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Skip to verse 5. It says, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. And remember the system of the world back in chapter 2, verse 16. It was the eye, the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's the system of this world. It's constantly going after you with the eyes and the flesh, the nature that just wants to go back into this destructive thing. And that's the pride of life. This is the exact thing that I want, I need, I desire. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God, though. Whoever knows God listen, listens to us. What John is saying here listens to us, the, the prophets, the apostles that penned this book, that were inspired by the Spirit to, to lay this thing out. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So remember the original listeners of this letter were confused over the Gnostic teachings. Okay, so it's really important to understand the original listeners to this letter. So this is a letter written to the church a couple thousand years ago. And the, now this church is now hearing these teachings and John is unpacking some things that they were listening to. And the crazy thing is, that's why we can hold to this as God's word. It still applies for us today. And so in this time, the original writer or readers were going through things like the Gnostic teachings of dualism, the separation of Jesus' deity and Jesus' humanity. They believed they were separate from one another. They actually believed and taught that Jesus' body, the flesh, was actually an illusion, that his spirit actually came upon him after his baptism and then they then lived in the spirit. That's why he performed all these miracles. And then at his cross, when he was hanging on the cross, just before his death, the spirit of God left him. Because they taught there's no way that God would die for you. God wouldn't die on the cross. So they taught and they, they tried to debunk the story of God. Well, like every heresy, it's easily distorted and and when we go to the word, we see it's error. 
And there was a spirit of error in the church in that day, and there's a spirit of error today as well. And like every heresy, they tend to come back. They tend to make up different things and have new revelation. So this might say this, but you know what? I had a new revelation, and this is what it says. And a lot of people follow that revelation rather than this one. So how do we know that we might be listening to a demonic voice? Well, John gave the original readers the instruction to test, and, and this lesson still applies, like I said, for us today. And I'm going to give you just three for this morning. There's many more that we can unpack. But the number one, without, a, without any, any um, challenge or any competition, is matching it against the Word of God. This is number one. This is what we as a church ought to do regularly, match what we're hearing and listening with this word of God, what we have before us. The Bible teaches about Jesus' deity, and so any teacher teaching a contrary message is being led by the voice of a demon. Any voice. And, and there's so many out there that it's actually really confusing because they'll say words like, Jesus loves you. And they'll all say di different things and make you feel really good about Jesus, but they'll never actually talk about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for your sin, for their sin. They'll never bring that up. They'll go, you know what? Jesus loves you so much that he, he wants everything for you. He wants to build you up. He wants to make you, you know, the, the person. He wants the best life for you right now. See, the Mormons teach that Jesus is created, one that's really simple out there, that Mormons they teach that Jesus is a created being. Number one, you should, as soon as you hear that, you should go, uh, that's wrong. Jesus is a created being and the result of celestial sex and the brother of Satan. I'm not sure if you knew this about Mormonism, but that's what they believe and trust. See, it is utter heresy. But that's an easy one if you would just read the Gospel of John, just like even the first couple verses you realize that it's a distortion of the truth in Colossians chapter 1 as well. But there are mo movements like Bethel Church and authors like Joel Olstein, Brian McLaren, and Rob Bell that have taught and confused many, just a lot of times just with as asking questions and just like Satan did in the garden. Did God really say this? And they'll cause great confusion within the church. So it isn't just this verse in the Bible that helps us, but the entirety of the Scripture See, in the close, right close to the end, there's a little book called Jude. And in Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter. In verses 17 and 18, it says this. But you must remember, what a warning to the church. You must remember the predictions of the apostles, the ones who lived with Jesus, saw his death, and saw his resurrection. Those are the apostles. The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, they said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. Sound familiar to this day? A bunch of scoffers scoffing the church, scoffing about Jesus, scoffing of who he is, scoffing about religion, scoffing about the Bible. And you can find them everywhere on, the, on YouTube. If you have your Bible, maybe turn to Jeremiah. I, was gonna, I read this in my devotions a couple weeks back, but Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah... Everybody asks if my name is Jeremiah. I wish it was. Uh, but Jeremiah 23, 16 and 17 says this. this. This is going back thousands of years, saying the same thing. That's what I've been trying to tell us 
The Bible's saying the same thing. God does not change. So Jeremiah 23, 16, it says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts. This is how he spoke to his prophets and his apostles. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Do not listen to the words of the prophets and prophecy that, that who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Interesting. We have some people out there that are doing this. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say no disaster shall come upon you. You know what I do? Every time I evangelize someone, I talk to Jesus and tell the story like I started off this morning with. As I go, welcome to the family. After we kind of pray and, and, and just... I allow them to just confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And, and I, I, like I'm a lot of times like tearing up and, and give them a big hug or, and just say, welcome to the family. You're now a brother of mine. We're brothers in Christ. That's what it says in the Bible, that we're actually family. But can I warn you as a new brother that remember the cross? It's a death instrument and Jesus actually calls us to it. And he says, you will suffer for my namesake. So I'm trying to, in a small way, begin to build a theology of suffering in uh, this individual's life because there's a lot of so-called pastors out there that are spewing things like Jeremiah is warning the church, saying, hey, it's going to be well with you now. You got everything going for you. You got Jesus. There's going to be no suffering now in your life. What happens when suffering comes? Maybe I didn't believe hard enough. Maybe I didn't do this. Maybe I didn't. And then all of a sudden a false gospel begins to enter into their mind and their heart. So we need to warn one another and match everything with the scripture. See, this has been going on for thousands of years and is still happening today, like I said. So we match teachings by the word of God. Secondly, we start... We stay alert to scoffers and ones seeking their own passions, like I said in Jude... And we test by character. We test by character. This is how we test elders. We test elders by character. And so there will be those that come to scoff and to divide. They will be recognized by the fruit of their lives. Are they always learning but never applying? Are they pointing blame without the scriptural backing of their accusation? Are they concerned about secondary issues and causing division within the body? Are you going to the person or are you just going to talk around the person and, and just cause division between you and the person you're talking to and that person? Jesus warns us of this. Are we judging those, maybe have the spirit of error in their voice and they're not character people, they're not living out of the spirit? See, again, we watch and recognize them by their fruit. Do they love the word of God? Do they apply the word of God? Do they seek to know the word of God? Do they surrender to the word of God? Or are they just a voice, meaning are they speaking their knowledge or God's? So thirdly, not exhaustively, there are more. We will still, we will just stop at three for now. But we test by God's word and by their character. And thirdly, allowing others to help discern if what we are listening is true. And then we do this by community. This is why the church needs to gather. 
It's why we need to get together in community groups and talk over the things and, and discuss and really dive into the word of God and, and see what it is saying. What it, what it is saying is so incredibly important. See, false teaching might actually feel like it helps you. Like I said earlier, it might actually feel like it helps you. Just because it helps you doesn't mean it is right teaching. See, I mentioned the Mormons earlier. There's over 16 million of them in this world, according to 2021 stats. There's 1.9 billion Muslims. And I can guarantee you each one of them will probably say, you know what, this teaching of Mormonism, this teaching of, of Islam, <laughs> almost said Muslim, thank you. It's terrible. Um, helped me. See, many uh, would say this, but they're listening to the spirit of error. See, church, it can't be what makes you feel good. It has to be the truth. It can't be what makes you feel good. Is the truth, the, the, the story of this world, and it's all around us. See, allowing others that are rooted in the scripture to help you discern is vitally important. It actually keeps us together. And don't do life on your own. We need one another. We need one another when we're listening to all kinds of different things, especially in this world today. There's so many voices in our lives constantly, plus our own, which is also confused, coming out of our evil hearts and our evil desires that we're kind of looking over to this depraved area of our life and, and we want more of this. And that's why we need community going, hey, let's go over here. Let's walk in the way God has called us to. And so we share with one another the things that we are listening to and maybe you know what, maybe some others might have a different perspective looking through the lens of the scripture. And let the lens of the scripture be the interpreter, not us interpreting the scripture, but vice versa, let the scripture interpret it us. See, we believe that the word of God is inerrant and infallible. Infallibility means that the Bible is incapable of being wrong. It is the word of God and God being perfect, therefore his word is perfect. And inerrancy means the Bible is without error. So whatever the Bible teaches on, it's found to be without error. So with that said, there are many people that proclaim they hear the voice of God. There's many people out there. I heard God tell me this. I actually had one guy come and talk to me in a past church. He's like, God told me to marry that girl. And then that girl got married to someone else. And I was like, you may not be hearing from God. And he goes, no, 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 I'm hearing from God. God told me to marry that girl. And then that girl got married to someone else. I was like, you're listening to the wrong voice, my friend. See, because God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make errors. God is infallible. He, he's perfect. So his word is always perfect. See, this is how the text of Scripture was given to us by way of the prophets and apostles. It was given by, inspired through the Spirit, that it might be perfect. So, but what about hearing from God then today? Well, this is why we need community. We need community because we have God's written word and we know that God does not change. We have a foundation that we can re reference to, see and test the spirit that we be, might be hearing. And the Bible is our foundation and everything must sift through the lens of scripture, not through the lens of our felt needs. We can't go by our felt needs. John Piper, a pastor and author, says this, outside the Bible, we have fallible, uncertain impressions and messages. Like my friend, he had fallible and, and uncertain impressions and messages, and he was going by them. 
So Piper continues, outside the Bible, we have fallible, uncertain impressions and messages. And inside the Bible, we have rock-solid, dependable messages. And he goes on to say, why crave the lesser word of man, the uncertain word, when we have the greater message of God here in the Bible, that we might be certain in what God says? We don't need a new revelation. We have it here. And so when we hear the voice, a voice, we need to test it by the words of God. And if it's saying the same thing and it's encouraging you in the same way the scriptures are, then we can know that it's the voice of God. See, we know because we have the highest authority of the very words of God and we do this, and we do this in community, not isolated. And lastly, my third point is God is greater. And we'll close with this. It says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Friends, God is not afraid to be tested. He's not afraid to be tested. We've been testing him for thousands of years, and he still is managing to hold up to the test. But I can guarantee you, those in this world that are spewing lies, they'll get the backs up when you start testing them. They don't want to be tested. Not according to this. See, they're the ones preaching falsely about God's word. They're the ones writing books that look no different than the self-help books in the library. They're the TV preachers that fly around on their personal jets proclaiming health and wealth for all. And then they tell you that if you don't have health or wealth, then you don't have enough faith. They point at you. You're the problem. They're the ones that say they hear directly from God, but preach and teach doctrine that is contrary, that is contrary to the scriptures. They have no problem aligning themselves with things of this world, with the depravity and the sensuality and clear sin that is talked about in the Bible to gain followers, friends, and to pad their wallets. They will speak to your feelings. They will tickle your ears so that you like them. They will never offend you as long as you follow them. They are the spirit of this world, and they will become like him. They will never talk of sin, like I've said before, and they will not make Jesus the main point of the story. They may say Jesus quite often, but they'll never tell the bad news. See, God is greater. He has overcome the evil spirit of this world with the sacrifice of himself for the sake of you and I and for his glory. See, friend, you may not understand what I've said today. But understand this, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you so much that he came down to his creation that is unholy, that has distorted his truth and he died on the cross for you and I. Something that he did not need to do, but he did for us to pay the penalty of sin and death for us that we could not pay. And then he, then he rose again, defeating it completely forever, for eternal sake, and giving us a great hope in, in the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. And he gave us his spirit to go on mission and to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to evangelizing those that don't yet know him, that are still living in a burning house. And we need to go bang on that door and go, your house is burning. You need to come out and come. Come see and look at Jesus and surrender to him. He's your only hope. And Jesus himself says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
And the beauty of this book that we're in, the first John book, chapter 1, verse 9, it says, if you confess your sins, if you confess your unholiness to him, he is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all, all unrighteousness. He is calling all of us today to confess him as Lord, maybe for the first time. Maybe, maybe today is something that you've, maybe this last week you've been caught in a sin and you've allowed your heart to go and this depraved part of this world that we've been called actually to flee from and now you feel this conviction in your heart and same verse applies to you. Turn away, confess Jesus and come back to him as Lord and Savior of life and change, continually change. Let me read Psalm 37. It's on the screen. I had this in my devotions a couple days ago and it was impactful for me. But just this little section in 37, 27, and 28, it says the gospel in such a small little way. It says, turn away from the evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. Why? Well, we know the end of the story because of Jesus. For the Lord loves justice and he will not forsake his saints those who have turned and confessed him as Lord and Savior, when you read the whole story, they're preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your word that we can learn and glean from it, that you've given us examples of how we can test the spirit of error in this world today. And Lord, I pray uh, for myself and for this church, the, this body of believers that, that love you. Help us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit this week that we, might, that we might walk away from the things of this world, that we will not listen to the spirit of, the error, of error and that we will believe in the spirit of truth this week, that we'll continually change from one degree of holiness to the next, that we'll keep putting things of this world off and putting things of you on. And Lord, if there's someone here today that needs to know you personally, I, I just pray, Lord, that they'll continue to be challenged, that they will challenge their worldview, that they'll challenge their understanding of who you are and come to know you as their Lord and Savior. Pray, Lord, that your spirit will convict them and that they will truly just test you to see if you are genuine, which I know that they will find you to be. And so I just pray this in your most powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.